Pastor Ed Taylor speaks of the beauty of being chosen by God. For those of you that were never chosen before, for those of you that might have been last being picked on the baseball team or the volleyball team, and you're like, oh, here I am, the last one. Well, no, God says, I've chosen you. You're very precious in my sight. You're very important. Maybe you grew up in a home where some siblings were more favorites than others and some were chosen over you. No, God doesn't do that in his, in his family. He loves you. You're elect. You're chosen. This is amazing grace. Well, as things go from bad to worse around us, we have a glorious hope to cling to as believers in Christ. And that is, we are safe and secure in Jesus. Now, that message rings loud and clear through today's encouraging study of 1 Peter on abounding grace. Glad you could make it as we dig deeper into chapter 1. Pastor Ed Taylor is about to show us what being born again means. And you can leave here today assured and confident of your salvation. Take your Bibles, open them, would you, to 1 Peter chapter 1. We are back in the New King James using uh, the New King James, so you want to follow along and use whatever reliable translation you like using, but we're back in the New King James for 1 Peter. And we are in chapter 1, verse 3, in a Bible study that I've entitled, Safe and Secure in Jesus. It's an important truth for you and I to grasp that we know of our safety and security in Christ Jesus. And Peter the fisherman has received the greatest education that anybody could ever have in their entire life. Where those that were in authority, those that looked down on them, those that were judging them, they would look at Peter and they would say, you know what, these guys are untrained and uneducated. And according to the world standards, that was a true statement. Uh, today you would say, well, look at those guys. They didn't go to seminary. They weren't trained in Bible college. And that would be true. They were professional fishermen. They, they had different, Peter was a professional fisherman. And he had a different trade, a different direction in life until Jesus grabbed a hold of his life. And he gave up everything to follow. The next three years of his life, we know that he spent time with Jesus. He was recognized as a man who had been with Jesus. Acts chapter 4 verse 13. That's the best education you and I can ever receive. Because I know for most listening to me, you're, you don't have seminary in your future. You can't just drop everything and head off to Bible college. You have a family to raise. You have bills to pay. You, you have a course of life. God didn't call you to seminary. He didn't call you to Bible college. He called you to be a doctor. To, to, he called you to drive a truck. He called you to raise the kids, be a family, whatever it is. And that's not in your future. However, you don't need to go to seminary. You don't need to go to Bible college. Just spend time with Jesus. Just spend time in his word, in prayer, be in Bible study. Feed yourself the word. This is the way of the Lord. This is not unique. 
As if, oh, it's just for a few people. This is the way of the Lord. This is discipleship. This is the life of a Christian. To know him, to follow him, to spend time with him. Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek the kingdom of God. I'm reading from the New Living on this one. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. You may have memorized it as, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Here in the New Living, it's above everything else you ever do. Your life is set on course to follow Jesus, to know him personally, to listen to him, to learn his ways and his thoughts. And Peter, he spent time with Jesus, the best education you could ever have. And remember, he's writing this letter now, having spent three years with Jesus, having denied him, having been restored, having learned the value of taking care of the flock of God. That's what his failure was used by God in Peter's life. His failure, his denial, his pride, his self-sufficiency. When Jesus restored him, Jesus gave him three times to affirm. Remember at the end of John, he gave him three times to affirm his love. One, I believe, for each time he denied Jesus. And each time Peter affirmed his love for, for Jesus, he was also given the instruction, okay, look, do you love me? Take care of the flock. Tend the flock. And that's what this letter is. We are listening to Pastor Peter. And he has chosen to write down being inspired of the Holy Spirit, important truths to a scattered, hassled, tired, persecuted group of believers under the leadership of the Antichrist Nero. Now, he's not the literal capital A Antichrist, but rather his life was against Christ. He's wrapping up believers in animal skins and setting them on fire in, the, in his gardens. The believers are scattered and hurting. They're afflicted and oppressed. The government has turned against them wildly. And Peter wants to build them up. And so what does he say in verse 1? Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims. And it's just a reminder, you're passing through. This is not your permanent home, church. Peter reminds them, all that you're going through, all the pain, you're passing through. This is temporary. This isn't your home. And let me just say, to the degree that you want this world to be your home will be the degree that your trials are harder, not easier. Because they disrupt everything that you want to be normal. Everything that you want to be stable. Anything apart from Jesus Christ, you will not experience stability in this world. You might get a taste of it, but not much. You begin to build up, you know, a savings account, and then things happen up in the government with the banks and stuff, and boom, it's gone. And then what do you do? Because your stability was in money. You find yourself in a place where, man, I want stability in a career. And then through technology, like, like with my dad, for example, the invention of the computer eliminated my dad's, my dad's job completely. It doesn't exist anymore. And that happened years ago. And you see it moving and moving and moving. Anything that we are seeking stability in 
the more that we seek stability in, above all else other than Jesus, it's just going to make you frustrated. You got to remember you're a pilgrim. Notice he speaks to this group of the dispersion because what happens with persecution is it scatters. It separates. And we won't always have the ability for fellowship. In a very small way, we've been experiencing that over the last few months. We won't always have an opportunity for kind of the fellowship that we take for granted because persecution scatters. It separates. People run for their lives and they move on. That happened in the early church, in the, in the church in Jerusalem, when they were told to scatter. You know, it's not, it's, it's not always a bad thing for us to scatter because the early church was told to scatter. Jesus said, take this gospel. You're going to be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, Acts chapter 1. You're going to be my witnesses. And they didn't leave Jerusalem until they were persecuted. And then all of a sudden they ran away. And when they ran away from the persecution, they ran to places where their gospel hadn't been preached yet. And when they ran away, what did they take with them? Everything they had learned thus far. And the gospel went to unreached places and to unreached people. And whether that's a small scale for you or a large scale for you, dispersions come. And this is a literal dispersion. It's in the area of, notice, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, modern-day Turkey up in that area. And then he said in verse 2, by way of review, he calls these pilgrims elect. God's perspective is their elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, and sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. So to the scattered believers, Peter gets real deep into theology right at the outset. Not only does he mention the Trinity in this one verse and how the triune God is involved in the salvation of every man, woman, and child. You see it there in verse 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, sanctification of the Holy Spirit, and sprinkling of blood for obedience in Jesus Christ. All co-equal, members of the Godhead, but also he speaks of this election. And for a fisherman, you know, Peter jumps right in because he's indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Look, your sta station in life and your position in life and what somebody might label you as and what someone might make fun of you does not define you. You are defined by God himself. You were created in his image. And as a born-again believer, now you have a new identity. I know other people want to pull you back into the old you. And they want you to be identified by your mistakes and by your failures. But God doesn't remember you that way. God sees you as you move forward by faith. You're not defined by your past. So, so Peter, he's a, he's a fisherman? No, he is a man of God and dwelt and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he's straight up telling them, look, you guys, you might think that because you're going through trials and tribulations that you're not a real believer. You might think you're doing it wrong. You might have doubts. But Peter, right at the outset, in the midst of trials, in the midst of oppression, what does he say? You are chosen by God. You're elect. And I know a lot of people like to argue about this. This is really all review because we looked at this last time. But people want to argue about this. But listen, don't let it trip you up. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you too are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Because he knows everything, he's able to choose you. It's his divine providential privilege to choose. And he does. And his choice is based upon the knowledge that we'll choose him. 
And God knows, and we don't. He knows from the beginning. We learned that, that, that God knows all things, and we learned what does that mean? God's omniscience. That's the doctrine, omniscience. He has all knowledge. So his decisions are made with that knowledge. He can see the beginning from the end. And we're always going to see this together, aren't we? We're going to see God's sovereign choice and our response. Nobody ever is saved against their will. No one has ever received salvation like as a surprise. Oh, did God save me? I didn't know. Okay, I guess, uh, yeah, I guess I'm saved. No, there's, oh, they always go together. I gave you a scripture last time. Let me repeat it for you in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. There's God's part and there's man's part. There's the sovereignty of God. There's the free will of man. Listen, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. So he tells the believers in Thessalonica, know your election by God. And then notice what he says. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And listen, you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. Can I just say, so you see two points. You see the choice, the election of God, and you see the receiving of the word. You have a choice, God has a choice, and they meet together in a mystery, but it's beautiful mystery. But let me say this. They receive the word of God in much affliction. This time of much affliction is a time of harvest, church. It's a time of harvest because people receive the word of God when there's much affliction. I wonder if you're here today following Jesus Christ because a trial was so heavy and so hard that it stopped you in your tracks, and it was in that season that God brought a person, God brought a radio station, God brought a friend, brought, God brought a cassette tape, a CD, uh, a link, a YouTube video where somebody preached the gospel to you, and you had ears to hear. And the reason your ears were open is because it was much affliction. How many people are listening in a jail cell right now? And it's because of the jail cell that they are making the commitment. And I want you, if you're in a jail right now and you're listening to me, I want you to keep your commitment because you probably sat there and go, you know what, God, if you get me through this, I will dedicate my life to following you. Keep that promise. Keep that commitment. But, you know, two years ago, they were running the streets, committing crime, doing all sorts of things. They weren't crying out to God, but now that they're caught and they're doing their time, their time has caused them to go, you know what? I think it's time to commit my life to Jesus. Everything I've ever heard, it's time. And we get letters all the time from people in jail, from Sterling, all over, all over from Denver, that, that that's the time that God has apprehended their heart. Even this week, I received an email uh, from a mom who wants some material that we can give to her so she can send to her son in jail. Why? Because much affliction opens up the door to much hearing. And you receive the word in much affliction. This is a time of harvest. This is not time to go back and go, oh, look at me. What do I don't have? What's being taken away from you? Listen, don't worry about what's being taken away from you. Go forward with what you have. You have the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there are people in much affliction right now that don't know the Lord Jesus. And here we are. We're kind of stuck in 
whatever it is that we're stuck in. And we're not living an obedient life. There's God's will, God's choice, our choice. God's action, our action. And so the door is open to whosoever in the world would believe. I love that. We're reminded of God's choosing us because God wants you to remember out of the whole world, the billions of people that have lived on the planet, when you start thinking about the, the percentages of a whole world, for you today, you are chosen by God. For those of you that were never chosen before, for those of you that might have been last being picked on the baseball team or the volleyball team, and you're like, oh, here I am, the last one. Well, no, God says, I've chosen you. You're very precious in my sight. You're very important. Maybe you grew up in a home where some siblings were more favorites than others and some were chosen over you. No, God doesn't do that in his, in his family. He loves you. You're elect. You're chosen. And then you might think, you might have that sensitive conscience and you might say, well, you know, why choose me? There's nothing special about me. Well, he chose you because he loves you. And you're everything special to him. What you don't see God sees far more in you than even you can see in yourself. So trust him. Trust him in the new identity that you have. So notice in verse 3 now, Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You have been begotten again, born again born again. Peter says that he blesses God that you're born again. <laughs> we don't think too much about that. We almost take for granted that we're born again. We almost take for granted that our life is different today. You know, for me, I've got so many years separate from my rebellious days, from my dark days, from my days of not caring at all about the things of God. I got many years that separate me. And those many years, if I'm not careful, could take away from the glorious blessing that I wake up every morning and just say, man, Lord, I'm so glad I'm born again. If you wouldn't have apprehended me when you did, it would have not, it ended, it would have not ended very well. It would have not ended well at all. And as bad as it is now, even as a redeemed brother, a redeemed father, a redeemed husband, as bad as it is now, it is profoundly better than it ever was on my best day. My worst day now is profoundly better than my best day. My worst day in the Lord, better than my best day apart from God. Every day of the week. And so what does he say? You are a blessed man and a blessed woman. We bless God that he gave us new life. Turn back to John chapter 3. How did Peter learn this? Well, he spent time with Jesus. It's the same way you're going to learn it. How are you going to learn this? Well, you're going to learn exactly where it is in the Bible in John chapter 3, what this begotten again means. Now, we often, we often don't use that word begotten again. What we use is born again. How many of you, by ways of have heard the phrase born again? Born again. Of course, we better. Uh, hopefully. Now, if you haven't, now tonight you do. Born again. It is required for you and I to be born again in order to be saved and have our sins forgiven. It's not optional. It is required. And we learn that not from Peter first, but from Jesus. Notice in John chapter 3, this is the gospel of John. John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus answered and said to him, 
Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You know, sometimes you're talking to people, especially very religious people. You find out, you, you find out there's another believer at work, and so you want to talk about the things of God. But then you find out that they have a different belief system, maybe a different religion. So that when they ask, well, what kind of, what kind of uh, believer are you? Well, I'm born again. They go, oh, you're not one of those born-againers, are you? Here's the answer you share to them. You look them in the eye and say, there is no other kind of Christian than the born-again Christian. There is no other category. You can't be saved any other way. Jesus said, and see it with me in your own Bible, unless one is born again, he cannot see. You will not experience the kingdom of God. It's it's impossible. And who's he sharing this with? A man by the name of Nicodemus, a very religious man who had a religious perspective of salvation. A person that is not born again is not a Christian. You can't be saved any other way. A person that is not born again is not a Christian. It's not possible. I'm not. And you listening to me on the radio, I challenge you, find in the scriptures anywhere that refutes what Jesus said in John 3.3. On that, you can email me. I would love to dialogue with you on the beautiful doctrine of grace and the finished work of Jesus Christ. That you're not saved by a church. You're not saved by a man. You're not saved by a religious system. You're not saved because you were born into a religious home. You're not saved because you're an American or whatever. Whatever you might, you can only be saved if what? You are born again. It's the only way. Whether you're in this church, that church, whether you're in your car, you're in a hospital bed, in a kitchen, it doesn't matter. Unless you're born again, you aren't going to see the kingdom of God. And being born again is the best description, I believe, of describing what happens to a person when they're saved. What happens to you and me when we're saved? We're born again. We get a new start in life. Matter of fact, we don't get a new start. We get a start in life where we were dead spiritually. We're going to be alive physically, but dead spiritually. Disconnected from God. Disconnected from the life of God. And yet still alive physically. And the danger is, is that when you're alive physically and you're dead spiritually, but you think you're alive spiritually, the Bible calls that self-deceived. You are lying to yourself. It's impossible. The best description is that when you and I are born again, we receive a new nature inside. Let me read it to you in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We'll leave you to think that over and come back tomorrow for the conclusion of Ed Taylor's message, Safe and Secure in Jesus. Today on Abounding Grace, we've been continuing our series in 1 Peter. You'll find us on the web at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Let me highlight some of the features. Look for our quick links, and you'll discover you can listen to our programs anytime you'd like. We also offer a free podcast, too. You can read Pastor Ed's blog there as well. We've also made it super easy to donate to the ministry, and there's a place to contact us, too. Speaking of which, we'd sure like to hear from you. 
Let us know what you think of our current study and if you're finding these daily studies helpful to your walk. We'd also very much appreciate your support as we present Abounding Grace here over the radio. Again, go to AboundingGraceRadio.com. We also offer an app that makes listening to Pastor Ed's teachings really easy to do. You can download the free app by searching for Ed Taylor. Each month, Pastor Ed picks out a book that he believes can really help you grow in grace and be the person God wants you to be. Our pick of the month is Suffering is Never for Nothing by Elizabeth Elliot. I don't have to remind you that hard times visit all of us. Elizabeth is no stranger to suffering either. Her first husband, Jim, was murdered. Her second husband was lost to cancer. But it was in her deepest suffering that she learned the deepest lessons from God. Read all about it in Suffering is Never for Nothing. We'll send you a copy with our thanks for a donation of $25 or more. Just call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's toll free, 877-30-GRACE. Do you have some doubts about your salvation? If so, you'll want to join us tomorrow for an important study in 1 Peter. That's Wednesday on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.